um, or click on your device, your Bible app, whatever, however you get there, just get to Matthew 13. I've been sharing um, out of Matthew 13, Jesus' parables of the kingdom. Last week we finished up with the parable of the sower, and this week I want to begin uh, and share with you what, uh, what the disciples called the parable of the tares of the field, or we often call it the parables of the tares, or the parable of the wheat and the tares. So in Matthew 13, Jesus continues in verse 24 to teach on the kingdom of God through parables. And the Bible says, And he put forth another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds, or tares, the King James Bible calls them, sowed them among the wheat and went away. And when the plants came up and bore grain, so they grew up together, and at the point when the grains showed up, the head of the grain appeared, then the tares appeared also. So the, the tares were growing with the wheat in the parable, but they didn't know that, that they were tares instead of wheat until the grain showed up, and that's what differentiated the tares from the wheat. They could see, well, this is a wheat plant, and this is a poisonous weed uh, called a tare. And so then also the tares appeared, verse 27. And Jesus is still talking in this parable. And he says, And the servants of the master of the house came to him and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And the master said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Well then, do you want us to go gather them up, rip them up, tear them up? But he said, no, lest in gathering the tares you root up along with them the wheat also. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the tares first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds, Jesus did, and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Me, Jesus, the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Just as the tares are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all that cause sin and lawless and law-breaking, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In the, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This parable has been probably one of the most misunderstood, mis misinterpreted parables. But I want you to notice that there's two sections in what I read you. There is the parable, 
And then there is the interpretation of the parable. Jesus gave the parable to the public, but then when he went to the house privately, the disciples came and said, could you explain what that means? And he gave the interpretation. So Jesus gives the parable, then Jesus gives the interpretation. <coughs> what I'd like to do first is to just simply tell you that this parable is about how real Christians are supposed to live in a world with fake Christians. That's really what this is all about. How do we, as real sons and daughters of the living God, live in a world where we are in competition with, confronted by, surrounded many times by those who are false children of God or fake children of God? And um, so Jesus, in this parable, shares not only that that's a fact of life, but he's in this parable sharing with us how to do that. The fact that it exists, that situation exists, and what we're to do about it. So let me share with you about four simple facts that this parable and the interpretation Jesus gave bring out. Fact number one. Fact number one is that Jesus planted you in the world, not in the church. He planted you in the world. Um, remember it says in verse 37 and 38, and Jesus said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So Jesus is the one sowing. You and I may go out and share the gospel with people, but it's Jesus who takes that word, sows it into Gene's heart or Giselle's heart or John's heart or Barbara's heart. It's Jesus himself. I, I tell people, um, man didn't save me, a church didn't save me, Jesus saved me. Jesus sowed that seed that perhaps I heard somewhere of the gospel, but the Lord planted it in my heart. So Jesus says, I'm the one who makes children of God. I make believers. So the Bible says, <coughs> Jesus said that the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. He comes right out and says it. It is the world, and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. So as sons and daughters of the kingdom of God, Jesus places us in the world. Now we are in the church. We are planted in the church. We use the term planting in reference to planting churches and gathering. But I'm going to share with you this morning before we're done, what is the difference between us being planted in the world and how we conduct ourselves in, uh, in, uh, in church? But just let me emphasize this point. You are planted in the world. In other words, we are heaven's embassy among men. We are heaven's embassy among men. We are planted in the world. So wherever you go, when you are out in the world and you are among people, you are God's ambassador. You are the Lord's ambassador. You're heaven's embassy. And think of an embassy. It represents the kingdom of God. It represents the freedom and the privilege and the message of the kingdom of God out in the world among men. Hallelujah. So we are not heaven's ark where, we, where we're getting together a small collection of beings and putting them in the ark so that they could be separated from the world. We are an embassy where people can come and receive. So we're not heaven's ark, we're heaven's embassy. Praise the Lord. In John chapter 17, before Jesus was crucified, 
he prayed for the believers, his disciples, and he, and he prayed for everyone through the generations that would also follow him. That includes you and I. So listen to what he prayed for you. In verse 15 through 18, Jesus said, Father, I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. I, note, I want you to just notice, Jesus didn't say that you would keep them from evil because then you'd have to be taken out of the world. He said that you would be kept from the evil one. In other words, keep them from Satan. They're going to be in the world. They're going to be surrounded by evil on all sides, but keep them from Satan. So I do not pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one, not from evil people, but from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now listen to this. He goes on and says, sanctify them, which means set them apart. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So listen very carefully. We gather together as the church, but we are planted in the world. Your job is holy unto the Lord. Your friendships and connections, holy unto the Lord. Your position out in the world. It doesn't matter that you are hanging out with a bunch of unsaved people. That's God's will. God wants you among people who are imprisoned by sin and captive by the enemy because Jesus said, just as you sent me, Father, into the world, I send them. So where is the safety? Do we run into church like an ark, a little ark to be saved? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, sanctify them or make them safe, separate them through your word. Through your word. So while you're out there, you can be sanctified and kept through the word. He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. You don't need to be afraid or worried about unsaved people or situations out in the world. God has sent you out there Hallelujah. He has set you, he has planted you in the world as the ambassador of Christ. Jesus wasn't afraid of sinners. He wasn't afraid of unsaved people. Matter of fact, he had a lot more to be concerned with with the religious people than he did with the unsaved people. His problems weren't coming from the society. His problems were coming from the church. And I'm not speaking against the church today. The Lord loves the church. We are the body of Christ. But God wants to expand our view beyond these Borders. This is not where you're a Christian. That's where you're a Christian. Somebody say, man, you're planted in the world. So he said, Lord, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. Keep them through your word. Keep them from the enemy. I send them out into the world. So that's fact number one. Fact number two in this parable is that the tares are fake Christians. It's not the Christians and everybody else. Everyone else who's unsaved. Everyone else who's unsaved are not the tares. The tares are a unique group. The tares, or the King James Bible, what the King James Bible referred to as tares, is really what we call in modern times darnell. It is a very poisonous plant, a weed, and, and the scripture's right to call it a weed. It is a poisonous weed that looks just like 
a grain of wheat grows about a meter high, uh, about a meter high, and um, is very poisonous, closely resembles wheat, and has been referred to throughout history as fake wheat. Throughout history, in different cultures around the world, Darnell, or what the Bible calls tares, was called fake wheat. And until modern times, when our modern um, science of agriculture has created the ability to separate the uh, Darnell's um, ability to cast its seed from wheat fields, so that in modern wheat farming, they don't have the problem they had in ancient times, or even just 100 years ago or so, Darnell was a serious problem if you planted wheat or grew wheat. In our modern times, we don't have that problem. But the fact is that this fake wheat closely resembles real wheat right up into the point when the grain shows up. And then when the grain breaks open and the head appears, that's when it becomes obvious when you see the fruit that it's really not wheat. In fact, in ancient times, when they would gather the wheat, and sometimes they would gather darnel with it, and it would be accidentally mixed in, the darnel causes hallucinating, drunken-like symptoms and nausea and is oftentimes fatal. So it makes you sick, causes nausea, causes hallucinations, causes a drunken type of state. And that's what Darnell does. That's what the fruit of Darnell does. That's the fruit of the fake Christian. As opposed to the wheat, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. Which is the life of Jesus that shows forth through you. So, here you, you have this, this seed that was deliberately sown deliberately sown by Satan as an attack against the kingdom of God. When they went to Jesus, once the plants matured, and they said, hey, where did this Darnell come from? I thought you planted wheat. The Lord said, I did plant the wheat, but an enemy did this while we were sleeping. And then when he explained or interpreted it, he specifically said, the enemy is Satan. Satan raised certain people up, entered into their hearts, convinced them, they're his servants, to behave and present themselves in the world as Christians, but they're really fake Christians. In other words, they're Christless Christians. They're Christ deniers. They don't receive Jesus Christ, but they love to grab the Bible and try to tell the world and try to tell churches, well, this is what the Bible says, and the Bible says this, and we should behave like that. And the world is increasingly filled with people like that, that like to present themselves as servants of God, but they're really not servants of God. They're actually an attack sent by the enemy against the kingdom of God. And they're described in 2 Timothy chapter 3, when the Bible says, know this also in the last days, perilous times will come. The perilous times that he describes are not ecological woes. They're not earthquakes and volcanoes and, and uh, the seas uh, drying up and the polar caps melting and all of these things, which may happen. But the, quote, perilous times that Paul talks about are described in this litany, this list of, 
of characteristics that people behave. It says men will be, be despisers of those that are good, heady, high-minded, traitors, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, um, uh, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. And he goes on and on and on until he comes down in verse 5 in that list of people during perilous times. And he says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. What should you do about them? Remember they, the disciples said, what do we do about the tares? Paul says, from such, turn away. From such, turn away. Simply turn away. Don't go after them. It's not your job to kill them. It's not your job to put them down. It's not your job to silence them. Just simply turn away. That's all he says. From such, turn away. Which brings us to the third fact of the parable of the tares. And that fact is, leave the tares alone. Leave the tares alone. In verse 28 through 30, when, uh, when they asked about the tares, the Bible records Jesus saying, an enemy has done this, has sown these tares. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them up? That was the first thing they thought of. Shall we go out and just tear? This is simple. We'll just rip them. We see that they're tares. We'll just rip them out of the field. What was Jesus' answer? No, lest in gathering the tares you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. It's amazing that Jesus is not the least bit worried about the impact of tares upon the wheat. There's no worry in God's heart that the tares are going to stop the wheat from being wheat. Notice that if you're planted as wheat, you grow up as wheat, you're not going to turn into a tear. And the tares can't turn you into a wheat. But the one thing is true, that when darnel is sown in a wheat field, the root systems intertwine. And if you go in and try to pull up the darnel, as you pull it up out of the ground, you will inadvertently break and damage the roots of the wheat alongside of it that are intertwined together. Look when Jesus said, I pray not that you take them out of the world, how intertwined the wheat is with the darnel. They are so close together, they are literally at risk of being damaged if you try to uproot one. And by the way, I don't want to get off into a, into a, a, a history lesson, but if you look back over the past 2,000 years, you can see periods in history when the church rose up and thought that the response to the tares was to go and uproot them. And many true saints of God, many true children of God, were destroyed in the effort to weed out fake and false believers and false prophets. Many innocent believers' lives were destroyed. So we have examples in history of how this has taken place. So Jesus said, let them grow together. The solution's not going to come until judgment. The solution happens at judgment, and you don't solve the problem. God solves the problem. You don't solve the problem. In other words, it's the natural reaction of God's servants. It's the natural reaction of Christians to silence false believers. 
It's a natural desire when you see false believers to want to go out and uproot them because they are an attack against the truth. You see, the damage of Darnell or the damage of tears is that in their toxicness, in their lack of genuine fruit, they present the idea that you can be saved without Jesus. You don't need the fruit. You can just be like the fruit. You can be like wheat. And so they, they are an attack by Satan against the kingdom of God because the strategy is to delegitimize the claims of the gospel that you preach by people who preach a similar kind of gospel but has no power, no fruit. There's no Christ is Lord in their gospel. There's no Jesus is Lord. These people love to take little bits and pieces out of the Sermon on the Mount. And they love to get up on stage while they're accepting reward, awards and such and browbeat and lecture the world and especially Christians about, well, you need to be feeding the poor and you need to be doing this. And they like to present themselves as the true wheat, but they're tares. And their lifestyles reflect the fact that there's no Christ in them. They just like to use the things of God. So the Lord's not worried about it. He says, let them grow together. And, and I would say to you this, the reason is, is because we're going to get to this in our fourth point that I'm going to share in a moment. But the fact and the reason behind all this is that, that God wants each and every one of us to be evidence of what we truly are. Whatever you really are, if you really have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, that will make itself manifest. And if not, you can't fake it. You can't put it on. So the tares are fake Christians. Fact number four. God's judgment's going to sort it all out. Fact number four. God's judgment sorts it out. In Jesus' explanation, his interpretation of the parable, he shows that there are two distinct periods in, in the in this historic timeline. There's the period of planting and growing, and that's the period we currently live in. The period of planting the seeds and letting them grow. Plant, let it grow. That's what we should be about. That's the period we're in. But then when that closes, he says when that age comes to an end, we immediately are thrust into a new period called the reaping period. The period of reaping. There's no more planting. All opportunity to be planted is over with. If you wanted to be planted in the kingdom of God, you should have been planted during the planting period. Because when the reaping period comes, there's no planting. There's too late, it's no time to choose. There's reaping. It's the moment of revelation. The reaping period has one purpose. To reveal what the real grain as opposed to the tares are. Who are the real grain? Who are the tares? And God sorts them out. He sends his angels. And the judgment takes place. And he goes throughout the world. And the Bible says <coughs> that he brings, separates out of his kingdom all things that offend and cause sin 
and all lawless uh, lawbreakers. So while we may be aggravated by, find irritating, don't like the fact that people are deceived by lawbreakers, by tares, the reality is, is the Lord says, everybody's responsible for these ears on the side of their head. You're responsible for what you hear. Jesus said many times, take heed what you listen to and with what measure you measure. So he's not worried about the fact that the tares are out there broadcasting their poisonous uh, uh, gospel. But everybody during that plant and grow period has to decide how and where they're going to be planted. So there is that plant and grow period. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, John says, Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So there's the wheat and the tares. The wheat don't have to worry because they keep his word, because the Holy Spirit dwells within them. Because the teacher, the Holy Spirit, lives within you, you have a hunger for the word of God. You are born again by the word of God, so you're naturally attracted to the seed of God's word. You are wheat, and the nourishment of God's word nourishes you throughout your life. So the Bible says, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is fully developed. The wheat that's coming to a head is agape in your life. God's love characterized by the fruits of the Spirit. And it says, He that claims to be true wheat ought to look and walk like the wheat, Jesus. We ought to walk as He walked. Hallelujah. But during the reaping period, the plant and grow opportunity comes to a screeching halt. And it's now time for God to reveal the tares, and the wheat. And so in Matthew 13, Jesus said, The harvest is at the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the tares are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom. Again, not the church, the world. Jesus thinks the world belongs to Him. Now, if somebody doesn't like that idea, everybody is free to like what they like and dislike what they dislike. It's a magnificent, wonderful period of grace that we live in today. Everyone's free to have whatever opinion they want. No matter what people say to you, you can't think like that, you can't speak like that, you know what? You're free. Think and speak the way you want. But there's consequences to everything. And there's coming a sorting out. There's coming a reckoning. There's coming the reapers. And it's not going to be a government. It's not going to be a church. It's not going to be a preacher. It's not going to be your mother. It's not going to be your friends. It's not going to be man who is going to we, uh, uh, sift through and show what's what. It's going to be God that's going to sift. His judgment is true. Jesus said, I come not into the world at this time to judge the world, but through my word, the world will be judged in that day, in that time. Right now, it's time to receive and grow. But then will come that time when there will come a sifting and a taking away and a separation. And it's coming. There's, 
There's just absolutely no avoiding the fact. So what is the takeaway? Let me close with this. As we look at the four facts of this parable, what do we take away from it? And the takeaway is basically this. I call it learning to balance the message of grace and the message of accountability. This is the delicate balancing act for the wheat. I'm speaking to the wheat this morning. You live in the world. You see out there the tares. Don't let it bother you. But understand your responsibility. Grace and accountability. I said earlier in the message that there is a difference between the church and the world. We are ambassadors to the world. In the body of Christ, we are members of the body. We are, we are the bride of Christ. We are members of the body of Christ. And we practice a certain level of accountability among ourselves that we don't demand when we're out in the world. We have two messages and we have two voices. How many of you parents have taught your kids there's an inside voice and an outside voice? Use your inside voice. Christians have an inside voice and they have an outside voice. We have the inside voice of accountability. And we have the outside voice of grace. You hold a dual citizenship. How many of you were born with a dual citizenship and had to choose before you were 18 years old or 21? Some of you, I was. I had a dual citizenship and had to pick. Actually, the decision was made default, but I had the opportunity if I wanted to. So, as a Christian, you have a dual citizenship. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Church is the gathering together of the heavenly body of Christ here upon the earth. So you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But you also are a citizen of the world. And you have a responsibility as a citizen of the world. The Bible teaches both citizenships are legitimate and both are important. And you need to know, where do I use my inside voice? Where do I use my outside voice? What's the difference? Well, the difference is simply this, that as church members in the body of Christ, we practice judgment. We discriminate against sinful behavior. And there's absolutely no getting away from that fact. I watch more ridiculous, immature, confusing, terribly misunderstood clashes and arguments on Facebook and social media between Christians because they can't sort out the difference between the inside voice and the outside voice. They don't understand the difference between their accountability in the body of Christ and their responsibility in the world. And so you constantly get these believers saying, Oh! We're not supposed to judge. We shouldn't be judging. That's judgmental. And then there's a believer on the other side saying, what are you talking about? Don't you own the Bible? Do you ever bother reading your Bible? The Bible says, he that's spiritual, 1 Corinthians, judges all things. The Bible says we absolutely have a responsibility to judge. And the word judge is to appraise. So where is it that we practice discrimination? A Christian should be discriminating. You should absolutely discriminate. You should be discriminatory against the practices of sin. But in the body of Christ, you use your inside voice where we practice judgment and discrimination against sinful practices. 
But if we try that stuff out in the world, all of a sudden it doesn't even feel right, does it? It doesn't work right. Because your calling to the world is that as an, of the ambassador of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not your responsibility to rip up the tears. But the Bible teaches it's absolutely your responsibility to rip up the weeds in the body of Christ in your own life. So you, you see, in one context, it is our responsibility. Use that inside voice. Be discriminatory out in the world. No, we don't practice discrimination. We're not condemnatory. We're not judgmental. We're not with a finger in people's face telling them, don't you know that's wrong and that's wrong. However, and I don't have the time to go into it all, but I'll tell you one of the great, great sections of Scripture that really lay this out is in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me read to you from verse 3 down to verse 7 and verse 11. He writes this to Christians concerning the body of Christ and, and our inside voice. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk. I'm a little convicted right now. <laughs> Nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that no one who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, that's not our message to the sinner. If you hear that, they're never going to get saved. They're going to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. I felt lost before. Now I know I'm lost. I know I would have never gotten saved if that had been the message that I was confronted with. My goodness, nobody that practices sexual immorality or, or uh, any of those things has any inheritance. He's talking about among us. We discriminate against those things. And... He says, for because of these things, listen now, think of the parable. Jesus said at the end of the age comes the angels. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience, on the tares. So if, if you living out among tares think that because the tares seem to be getting away with it, you as wheat can live like a tare, be careful. Don't take the fact that God lets the tares exist as an indication that they are legitimate or that you can follow their example. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, when he says, but instead, but instead expose them, he's talking to believers concerning their inside voice. As members of the body of Christ, we expose these things. Now, I'm talking to adults and I'm hoping that nobody's listening to this like a 14-year-old and going, oh, well, we should be running around in church with a finger up in, in each other's face saying, ah, 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 I saw that and I know that. And when, it, when we expose, there's a way, love and agape, the love of God and the order of the love of God in the body of Christ, keeping us joined together is the foundation and the compelling force behind everything that we do. So we do all these things in that constructive way. But still, nonetheless, there is the exposing of these things. So we are discriminatory 
with an inside voice. So we want to learn that. We need to understand that, that that's not okay. It's our responsibility. It's not, it's not that it's okay to judge sin. It's our responsibility to judge sin in-house, not out-of-house. Are you listening? Listening to me? Good. Praise the Lord. Now, once we step outside, what's our outside voice? We are ambassadors of the, of the kingdom of God, of Jesus' kingdom. We're ambassadors to the world. Remember Jesus prayed, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil. Sanctify them through your truth. They're going to be out there. They're going to be listening to crazy stuff. They're going to have people in their face saying stuff to them, calling them names, just as they did Jesus. And Jesus didn't try to tear the tears up. He didn't try to rip them up. He was out there. He said, just as the Father sent me, His Word is in me. I have a prayer life. I fellowship with the Father. I'm kept through my relationship with the Father, the Word in me keeps me, so the Word in you will keep you. you. You're not going to succeed as a Christian if you hide out in the church and have no social life with the world. You're not going to succeed. You can't possibly succeed. You're supposed to let your light shine before men. The Bible says, let your light so shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So as ambassadors to the world, we are an extension of Jesus' invitation to receive the gospel of grace. That's our message. We're not talking to the world about uh, discrimination against sin. Let them sort all that out. Hopefully, hopefully the society can figure out what's up and what's down. Hopefully, People that teach our children, hopefully our institutions, hopefully the government, hopefully the society can pull its head out of the sand and figure out what's up and what's down. But it's not our responsibility to pound that into them, to pull the tares out of the ground. Because if we do, we're going to rip ourselves up. It comes back on us. Hopefully that happens. But God's watching. God's watching. And all the nations of the world will be sifted and judged when that time comes. So what is our outside voice? Our outside voice is come to Jesus, the grace of God. We can't confuse it with anything else. It's got to be that. The Lord loves you. That's why Billy Graham succeeded for decades and managed to keep from being mired in controversy and to be delegitimized. By the world, he was the most respected of evangelists because he stayed on message. He kept his outside voice. And every time the cameras and the microphones were in front of him, well, what do you think about homosexuals? And what do you think about this? He just said, everyone's a sinner and needs a savior. Everyone. He didn't, listen, the, the message is to be the wheat in the world. So that you walk in righteousness without condoning sin. You don't have to condone sin. When people ask you, well, do you think that's sin? Don't lie. Don't say, well, no, it's just the way you think. You don't believe that. Tell them what the Word of God says. But Graham was successful because he just simply stepped away from every opportunity to be jammed into a corner and tricked into having to become adversarial by simply saying, you know, 
I was a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Jesus came to save us from our sins. And that's it. That's my message. That's what I got to say. That's it right there. There it is. I'm an ambassador of Christ. That's my message. Stick to it. And I'll close with this scripture. We're all familiar with it out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Paul says, so then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away. Look, what is new is come. And all of these things are from God. God who has transformed us. God who has made us into wheat. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has given us that message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his plea through us, we plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. There's your outside voice. Hallelujah. Inside voice, outside voice. That's the takeaway. That's how wheat lives among tares. And don't worry, be patient. God's going to sort it all out. Close your Bible, stand with me. Hallelujah.